So tonight, uh, we are continuing our new series called Kingdom Culture, Seven Ways to Live Blessed. And if you were with us last week when we kicked off the series, uh, you saw that the first of the Beatitudes, which is what we're going through, is blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus gives this very famous sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And the very beginning of the sermon is called the Beatitudes or the Blessings. And we spoke about how the first one that Jesus shares, Pastor Allen shared with us that the, the blessed are the poor in spirit forms the basis for every other beatitude, every other blessing, which is to say, if you aren't wrestling through it, if you don't get the first one right, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, then the rest of them are going to be really difficult to see in your life, to believe, to follow after. In fact, they may even seem ridiculous. And what bless are the poor in spirit means in, in, a, in a quick snapshot, it doesn't mean that you're, you're depressed. It doesn't mean that you have low self-esteem. It doesn't mean that you have a little bit of money. Blessed are the poor in spirit means that you recognize that spiritually speaking, you are bankrupt. You cannot earn God's love. You cannot earn his favor. doesn't matter how good you are. doesn't matter how many good works you've done this week, this past year, in your lifetime. doesn't matter if you're 51% good and 49% evil and you think to yourself, I'm good. That's not poor in spirit. Poor in spirit, those who inherit the kingdom of God are those that realize, I, I have nothing to offer. I'm broken. I'm flawed. I need God's grace, undeserved favor. And when you re receive that, when you believe that, when you know that about yourself and you come to encounter the grace of God that meets you where you're at in your spiritual bankruptcy and says, it's okay, I love you, then the rest of the Beatitudes can show up in your life. But if not, when you see the second Beatitude, which is what we're looking at tonight, blessed are those who mourn, you look at that and you're like, what? It doesn't make any sense. You see, what a Beatitude is, is it, it's a blessing. And the, the technical literary term for this is, is a macarism, which is to say it declares over a person a, a state that is one of happiness and flourishing. That's what it is, a blessing. A blessing, if you are blessed, that means that you are flourishing and you are happy. Now, oftentimes in the church, we have a more narrow view of blessing, right? When you hear the word blessing, you probably think of one of two things. You think God has given me something, right? He's blessed me with something that I didn't expect to receive and now I have that as a blessing. Or you think of blessing as in praising God, right? I'm blessing the Lord. I'm ascribing praise to the Lord. Now, those are both true, but what we see all throughout scripture is there's many different words for blessing and it's used different ways. But here, when Jesus speaks about blessing, he's not speaking about it from a place of ascribing praise and he's not speaking about it simply as somebody that receives something from God. He's speaking about blessing as someone who has found happiness and flourishing. So when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, or blessed are those who mourn, he's saying, when you mourn, you're going to find happiness, and you're going to find flourishing. You know, I think that it's interesting, when I look at our culture, I think our culture has actually kind of got, gotten onto this understanding, this wider view of blessing. I want you to raise your hand. This is an exercise. I want you to raise your hand if you've ever put a social media post up and it said hashtag blessed. Raise your hand. Have you ever done that? Like, okay, there, everyone's like, let's put them up. Put them up. Have you ever done that? Hashtag blessed. Come on. 
Okay, everyone's lying here. I know because some of you talk like this. Some of you are like, yeah, you know, I just went to the beach today, hashtag blessed. You know, like, it's how you speak. So you're afraid to raise your hands, but it's okay. Actually, check. There's like so many millions of people that have used this hashtag before. It's part of our vernacular. And what this means when you use it, I think, for the most part, it means one of two things. Either it means that you receive something unexpected, right? So you received a job promotion, hashtag blessed. You received a good report from the doctor, hashtag blessed. You went to a work dinner and it was free and it was really delicious, hashtag blessed, right? You, you went to brunch and you thought you were gonna wait for an hour but you skipped the line, hashtag blessed, right? It's not only something that you receive unexpected but the other time that we use this is when you're doing something that you enjoy that makes you happy. Right, so it's when you go to your CrossFit box or you go to your yoga studio and you take a selfie with everybody and you're like, hashtag blessed, you know what I mean? It's like you're with your squad and you're having a great time and you're happy or you're on your balcony and you take a sunset picture. You have a thousand of them, but you took another one and you put hashtag blessed. Or you go out to, to dinner and drinks with your friends or you go on a date with Bay. you know, hashtag blessed. Like it's at your park with your kids. We use it in two ways. One the receiving of something unexpected and also enjoying something that makes us happy. And this is actually closer to Jesus' definition here. Jesus is saying that blessing is both lived out and poured out. So what you're gonna see as we look at the second beatitude here is that the second half of the verse where it says, for those who mourn, for they will be comforted, that's poured out. But the first part is lived out, meaning it involves you. And what he's saying is when you mourn, you're going to find flourishing and you're going to find happiness. And that is hard to wrap your mind around. You see, Jesus' audience here would not have been unfamiliar with this type of conversation around finding happiness and flourishing and fulfillment. There's a word in the Old Testament that's a very common word. It's the word shalom. And this is not just a greeting uh, we translate this word as peace, but it's much deeper than that. What shalom means is it means fulfillment, wholeness, completion, happiness, flourishing. So the conversation that would have been taking place as Jesus delivers this sermon it was a very common discussion in Jewish culture, which was how do I live a life of shalom, a life of wholeness and completion and flourishing and happiness? How do I find shalom? It's very similar to our conversations that we, we talk with our friends or our coworkers. Maybe you ask yourself, which is, how do I live a life that is flourishing? How do I find happiness? How do I live the good life? How do I live the dream, as Pastor Allen said last week? And it's important that we understand that because this is what Jesus comes to address. This is what he wants to reveal. He's revealing the culture of his kingdom. He wants you to know what his kingdom looks like. What are the values of his kingdom? What does it mean to find flourishing and happiness in his kingdom, but also in this life as you live it? And that's what he's revealing to us. And so here on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' aim is to rescue your vision that's flawed for happiness and flourishing, just as he did for those that were sitting there that day that he delivers this sermon. They were running after everything else, trying to find shalom, just like we run after so many different things, trying to find f happiness and flourishing. And he's like, listen, I'm going to give a sermon, and I'm going to start the sermon 
with these beatitudes, with these blessings, and I'm going to answer your question that you're asking, which is how do I find flourishing and happiness and shalom in my life? And he starts by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. And you can imagine that was like kind of threw them off, right? They're sitting there on the banks of the Sea of Galilee. There's a light breeze. It's a beautiful setting. And Jesus has kind of become famous already at this point. So there's a lot of people gathered around. They're wondering what he's going to say. Some people think maybe he's a prophet. Some people believe he's the Messiah. Some are confused. They just heard a lot. They want to hear what's going to go on. They want to be a part of the movement. And Jesus sits down, which is the signal that he's going to speak. And he's going to be uh, the teacher, the rabbi in this moment. And everybody listens, and, and he looks at them, and he begins to deliver this sermon, and he says, bless, and now they automatically know, okay, he's talking about flourishing and happiness and shalom. I'm excited. And he says, bless are the poor in spirit. And they're like, what? They're like, okay, we're tracking with you a little bit. Like, okay, we'll, we'll keep going, Jesus. And then he gets to the second one, blessed are those who mourn. And this, like, makes no sense, right? This is so counterintuitive. He's speaking about blessing, about happiness, about flourishing, about shalom, and you're thinking to yourself, wait, wait a second. How can I find happiness in mourning? Like those are opposites. How can I find flourishing in mourning? And yet Jesus looks at the audience in front of him some 2,000 years ago as he looks at us addressing the same question. And he says, blessed are you when you mourn. See, our culture may have kind of grabbed on to a wider understanding of blessing by not only something that you receive that's unexpected, but also the enjoyment of something that makes you happy. But we are way off in regards to what are those things that we should be living out? What are those values that should be true about who we are to actually find happiness and flourishing? Our definition of happiness and flourishing and Jesus' definition of happiness and flourishing could not be more different. I mean, could you imagine if you're having a conversation with somebody, you're out on a Friday night, with your, you're with your friends, you're hanging out, and you're, you're talking about your life, and you're saying, you know, I just, I want to move forward in my life, I'm kind of struggling right now, and I want to kind of find happiness, I want to make sure that I'm flourishing, I'm doing what I'm supposed to, and, and your friend looks at you, you need to start mourning. The heck? Are you okay? Like, what do you mean I'm going to start mourning? It doesn't make any sense. Like if you're scrolling on, on, on Instagram, right, and you stop at a picture and you read this caption that someone is sharing their wounds and their suffering and their brokenness and their pain, and at the very end of the caption it says, hashtag blessed. You, you comment like, I think you got the wrong hashtag. Hashtag cursed, right? It, it, like can you imagine that? It doesn't add up for us because here's what we believe. We believe that happiness is a positive an annoyance-free emotional state, right? When, I, when I'm not annoyed or stressed or anxious and I'm positive, then I'm happy. And flourishing is the ability for me to achieve or to do or to gain whatever I want. When I can get what I want and when I can achieve what I want, then I'm flourishing. And when I'm annoyance-free and stress and anxiety-free and I'm positive, then I am happy. And Jesus says, blessed are you when you mourn. This is so hard to understand. It is so different than the way that we are wired to think. And Jesus here is trying to rescue your vision and my vision 
for what it means to find happiness and what it means to find flourishing, to actually maybe trust in this very counterintuitive, countercultural vision for the good life. And that's why I said at the very beginning that if you do not see yourself and understand that you're spiritually bankrupt, if you're not poor in spirit, then everything is going to be ridiculous. This is going to make no sense. Unless you recognize that you're broken and you're flawed and that not only do you need Jesus as your savior, forgiveness of your sins and to be loved and reconciled to God, but also you want to trust his wisdom and listen to him, then this doesn't add up. Because see, when you're mourning, that signals that something is wrong, right? An injustice has been enacted upon you or someone else. There's suffering that has been revealed. Brokenness has reared its head. And so what we do when this happens often, if you're like me, when you're facing brokenness and you're facing suffering and your wounds are exposed and you're going through pain, you just try to hide it, right? Hide it, isolate it, hopefully it goes away. Hopefully it, it fixes itself somehow. Just put it over here. Have you ever, you know, gone up to somebody, you know, maybe you did this when you came in, and you walked up to somebody, you haven't seen them in a week, maybe the first time you ever met them, and you say, how you doing? What would happen if you walked up to somebody and you said, how you doing? They're like, horrible. Life's falling apart. Everything's terrible. Like, I'm like just, and they start pouring down crying. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, you're supposed to say good, Right? This, I'm, I don't want to hear about your pain. I don't have the time or the patience or the energy to deal with this. Like, don't you know, in our culture, you're supposed to hide your pain, hide your brokenness. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to hear it. I was just trying to be nice. Like, next time, say good. You're going to freak people out, right? That's what we do. We just pretend like everything's okay. Everything's good. Everything's great. Everything's awesome. And then when things are actually wrong, or things are broken and we're struggling with anxiety and depression and pain and wounds. Here's what we say. How you doing? Doing all right. Right? That means horrible. Because every other time we say good, right? We're so afraid to, to reveal anything. I'm not saying you just reveal everything to anyone. But our culture creates this vision for mourning and for brokenness and for pain. And say, listen, deal with it on your own. Hide it over here. Isolate it. Fix it on your own. Like, don't bring it out to people. Nobody wants to see that. We want our friends to be positive. We want our work to be positive. We want our life to be positive because being positive means being happy. And so mourning is something we don't want to do. We don't want to take a moment to mourn and to process and to think. We want to deal with brokenness and pain and anxiety and and yet I know every single one of us in this room has a lot of that. To varying degrees, we're dealing with things that are breaking apart in our life. We're stressed, we're anxious, we're fearful. There's a lot of things that we're hiding that no one knows, even those that are close to us, because we're not supposed to share it. We're just supposed to pretend like everything is okay and we're moving forward. I remember the first time I went to Haiti was a few weeks after the earthquake. And I've never seen suffering like that in my life. You can imagine. It, it was horrible. I mean, that entire trip was just full of mourning. There was no other thing to do than just weep and cry with people and, and then evaluate your home life as you're kind of seeing what is happening to this country. And I remember flying home and 
my expectation was that when I came home, there would be at least a little bit of excitement for my bed and a shower and a delicious hot meal. And I didn't expect that when I arrived and I got in the car and I started heading back that that would be such a difficult experience as I'm driving on paved, lo- paved roads and I see all these billboards telling me things to buy. They're going to make me happy and make me feel like I'm flourishing. And then I went to eat a burger at this local burger restaurant and I'm sitting there and I got my fries, I got my burger, I got my soda and I'm looking across the street and across the street is a mall and everyone's just going in and out of the mall. And I'm thinking to myself, man, we just want to make everything look nice on the outside. Everyone walking in and out of that mall is struggling with something, is dealing with some type of suffering, some wounds, some brokenness, some pain, but we try to fix it by just consuming more. We find comfort in consumption, not in conversation. We don't want to expose it. We just want to hide it and put it over here and make things look nice. And so mourning is such a difficult thing for us to do. It's so hard. And I, I, it's hard for me. It's really hard for me. I, I can so easily take brokenness and take failure and take wounds and suffering and just lock them up in a box and put them in this compartment, be positive, be happy over here. And I'll deal with this like every so often when it becomes too much to ignore. It's hard to do. And what mourning is when you mourn you're mourning over your sin and its consequences or over sin in general and its consequences. See, what is injustice but a result of sin? What is suffering but a result of sin? What is pain but a result of sin? What is brokenness and death but a result of sin? And here's what sin is. It's a word, a very common word, but sin is very simple. It is a rejection or rebellion to God's law. God has said, here are my values. Here's the values of my culture and my kingdom. And here's what we do. Here's what I do. That's awesome. I'm going to do this. I'm going to try this. This sounds better. This feels right. And what happens in our own life, in the lives of others, is when we reject God's law, we reject what he says is good, when we reject his kingdom culture, we go and choose our own thing, and, and we kind of go down some dark alleys sometimes, and sin rears its head because we're rejecting what God says, we're doing our own thing, and then there's consequences. And what mourning is, is it's mourning over sin and its consequences. Mourning over sin and its consequences as it plays out in the lives of others and especially in our own lives, which I think is the hardest. I'm going to ask this question. When is the last time that you have mourned over your sin? mourned over it, taking a moment to even think about it, to allow yourself to think about who you are and what you've done to others and what you've done to yourself and the consequences that have been created in your life and the things that you are capable of doing and the things that you're constantly drawn to do. When's the last time that you've done that or are you like me where you just want to hide it and isolate it and move on? You see, no one likes to look in the mirror in the morning, right? This is what happens. You get out of the bed, you get in the bathroom, you look in the mirror like, whoa, is that me? You know, like, am I a human? Like, what? you know, like, your eyes are heavy, your face is red, your hair is everywhere, especially if you have curly hair. You have a zipper line on your face, or your face is smashed into the pillow. 
And you're like, you're like, you don't want to look. You look away. You go take a shower. You get ready. You shave. Maybe put makeup on, whatever. And then you look back in the mirror and you're like, oh, this is me. Your hair's done. The blemishes are hidden. Your beard is shaped. Your eyes aren't as heavy. You got the crust out of your eyes. You're feeling good. You're like, this is who I am. But it's not, right? It's who we want to believe we are. It's who we want other people to see us as. But the real you and the real me is the morning, like the hair everywhere, like, oh my goodness, like, how, how, that's the real us. And I think one of the reasons why we're so scared to mourn and to really take time to think about our sin and our brokenness and our failures is it's like looking in the mirror in the morning. Like, it's terrifying. Like, no, 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 like, let me get cleaned up a little bit. Let me get positive a little bit. I don't want to look at the brokenness. I don't want to look at that. And what Jesus is saying here is that when you mourn, when you take that time to think about who you are and what you're capable of and what you've done to yourself and to others, what you're constantly drawn to do, it brings happiness and flourishing. And when you also take time to mourn for others over what they're facing, the consequences of sin in their life, whether it was self-imposed or it just was a result of sin that was inflicted upon them, that when you mourn with others and when you mourn for yourself, you find flourishing and happiness. And I think mourning for others is easier. It makes more sense. I think there's something in us that believes that, okay, I know that when I mourn with and for others, it's going to bring happiness. Because when you mourn with someone or when you mourn for someone, you feel like you're doing something good. You feel like you're doing something right. You're empathizing with them. You're listening to them. You're crying with them. It feels good. It brings happiness because it's a positive experience. It's a good thing to do. It can bring flourishing because, one, you can recognize maybe something that you shouldn't do if it's a self-imposed consequence in someone's life that you're mourning with them over. Or you can be made aware to maybe an injustice or a problem and begin to think about solutions that can bring flourishing into your life and the lives of others. When you mourn with someone, when you listen and you cry and you weep with them. And as Jesus says, those who mourn will be comforted, it also can bring comfort, not only to the comfort to the person that you're mourning with and for, but also comfort to yourself, because when you mourn with someone and when you mourn for someone, there's just a warmth there of human connection. And it's an important aspect of us being with and for each other, and it brings comfort. That makes sense to us. It makes sense to me. I think what doesn't make sense is how mourning over my sin and its consequences can bring happiness and flourishing and comfort. That is much harder to believe because I want to believe that I'm capable of greatness and I don't have any brokenness and I don't have much failure and I'm pretty good. And when I take the time to be honest with myself and honest with God about who I am, I don't like what I see. And it's hard to understand how that could bring happiness and flourishing and comfort into my life. But see, when you mourn over your sin and its consequences, happiness is produced because there's honesty. When you're honest with yourself about who you are and what you're capable of and what you've done and to yourself and to others and what you're drawn to do, 
but you're not only honest with yourself, but you're honest with God about that, it brings happiness because you don't have to pretend. You don't have to hide it. When other people criticize you, you don't have to be defensive. You're like, yeah, I know, I messed up. I make mistakes. I know that. Your identity is not crushed when you make a mistake because you expect to make mistakes. Because you know who you are. You know that you're flawed. And it actually enables you in the midst of failure to move forward because it doesn't crush you. It enables you to say, yeah, that, I know that's true about me. Let me begin to move forward now. See, honesty is not easy, but it brings happiness. It's so funny to me. I think sometimes I, I look at my prayer life, and maybe this is the same for you, and, and it's like I don't know if I can be fully honest with God about who I am as if he doesn't know, right? It's like, yeah, I'm so sorry for this, but I'm like hiding this in my brain. Like, you can't see this. You know, it's like over here. Like, yeah, I shouldn't have, you know, eaten the last fry, you know. I know that guy really wanted it, but I was hungry, God, but you forgive me. Thank you. you know? When you're honest, it brings happiness because you're honest with yourself and with God. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to hide. You don't have to isolate. But it also brings flourishing. And here's why it brings flourishing when you mourn over your sin and its consequences. Because you cannot grow unless you mourn. You can't grow. There's, there's a very important word in Scripture that's called, the, the word is repentance. And repentance, if you're familiar with it, here's what it means. It, it means remorse that leads to change. The better definition, I think, actually is a returning to God. So what happens is God has his culture of his kingdom. He tells us how to live, and we're like, I'm good, trying this, going to do this. And then the consequences build, and the consequences kind of come back on us. And then we begin to think about who we are and what we've done. And if you don't mourn over that, then you're never going to turn back to God and say, like, I made a big mistake. Shouldn't have done that. Bad decision. God, let me now ask you, what is the way that you desire for me to live? What is your cultural values that I've been ignoring? See, unless you take a moment to mourn over your sin, you're not going to find repentance. Repentance is really just being honest about who you are and being honest to God about who you are so that you can then see who God is and what he's called you to do, how he's called you to live. And you can receive that with humility and with even excitement to move forward. I don't know if, if you relate with this. I'm, I'm sure you do. But when you look at your life and you think about the brokenness and, and the flaws that you have and the things that you constantly struggle with time and time and time again, even though you tell yourself you're not going to do this anymore, you keep doing this over and over and over again, and you say, I have a problem with repentance in this area. Well, you may have a problem with repentance, but I, I think the reason that you're not seeing repentance in your life is because you're not mourning. When you mourn over your sin, when you're honest with God and yourself about who you are and what you're capable of and what you've done, it leads to repentance. And repentance leads to flourishing. Why? Because it enables you to grow. Enables you to change, to move forward, to progress. And then the last promise that Jesus gives is he says, blessed are those who mourn. So those who mourn will find happiness by being honest with themselves and with God. They will flourish because they'll mourn over their sin, which will lead to repentance and growth. And then the second half, he says, when you mourn, you will be comforted. 
The first half involves you. This is you living out the blessing. You're living out the blessing by being honest and mourning over your sin and seeing repentance come to your life. That's living it out. But the second half is poured out. It doesn't involve you at all. The first half involves you. This doesn't involve you. You can't comfort yourself in the midst of mourning. I think that's one of the reasons maybe also why we don't want to mourn. We don't want to be honest about who we are with ourselves or with God because we're afraid we're not going to receive comfort. We're afraid that we're going to be exposed. We're afraid that we're going to be judged by God, especially by other people if they really knew. We're afraid of not receiving comfort. The prophet Isaiah says this when he encounters God, and maybe you relate with this. I know I do. He says, woe to me for I'm lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And I think sometimes when we think about mourning, we're afraid that we're going to be stuck there. We're, going to be, we're afraid we're going to be stuck in a place where we have no comfort. We're like, I'm lost. I am flawed. I am broken. And I don't want to be in this place because this is depressing. And this is a downer. And this is rough. We're afraid of not receiving comfort. I'm not finding love and forgiveness. I read a story this past week that was so interesting. It's about this woman who, who 30 years ago, she was a, a North Korean spy. And she put a bomb on a plane that was going to Seoul, South Korea, to stop and put a halt to the 1988 Summer Olympics that were in South Korea. It was a time bomb. She put it on the plane, and she got off the plane, and it ended up killing 115 people. She tried to make her way back to North Korea, and she got captured. And to her surprise, she woke up in a hospital, chained and imprisoned, but in a hospital. And why it was such a surprise is because she thought she was dead, because she had a cyanide cigarette that she took to kill herself when she got captured, but it didn't kill her. And so she was imprisoned, and she was sentenced to death. And a year later, the president of South Korea pardoned her because he said that she was a tool in the hand of this brutal regime. She was brainwashed into this, and she was pardoned, and she has now spent the last 30 years in South Korea trying to seek happiness and flourishing and have a new life and a new start. And they're interviewing her as the Winter Olympics just ended in, in South Korea. And she said, here's the one question that I ask myself every single day. And that's this, can my sins be pardoned? And her answer was, I don't think they can be. She's carrying that. I mean, her, her brokenness and her sin and, and her flaws are revealed to the world. Everyone knows that she can't hide it. She can't isolate it. And she's so fearful of not being pardoned, of not receiving comfort and forgiveness and I think that same question haunts us. Like, it, like, God, if you really knew, if other people really knew, could I really be pardoned? Could I really be forgiven? Would you really give comfort? And Jesus' answer is yes. Those who mourn will be, not maybe, will be comforted. So you find something really unexpected when you mourn. You find happiness and flourishing, and you find comfort. And this is God's gift to us. Mourning is a gift of his grace. 
We're afraid to do it, but it is a gift of his grace. But in order to receive this gift of his grace, you have to be in a proper relationship with God. You have to be like Isaiah, where you've encountered God and you're like, I'm lost. Like, woe is me. You have to have asked that question before, like, God, would you, are, will you really pardon me? You have to be poor in spirit, recognizing that you're spiritually bankrupt. And when you do, when you are poor in spirit, when you realize that you're lost and that you're broken and you're flawed and you mourn over your sin and you come to encounter God, you're not going to find disappointment and you're not going to find judgment. In fact, you're going to find comfort and you're going to find love and you're going to find forgiveness. This is why Jesus, as he delivers the Sermon on the Mount, he knows that this is going to be true in all of those who are poor in spirit and all of those who mourn because in a few years he's going to go to the cross and he's going to die for the sin and the rebellion and the brokenness and the shame and the guilt of all of those who will recognize that they're poor in spirit and trust in him in faith. They're going to find comfort. They're going to find forgiveness and love. So the only requirement to find flourishing and happiness and comfort by mourning is faith. It's not your goodness. It's not your religion. It's not your morality. It's not how hard you try. It's not putting it in your calendar, 8 a.m., mourn, right? It's trusting in faith in Jesus Christ that you're going to be comforted. And you can be honest with God about yourself because you're already forgiven. You're already loved if you believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. You are free to mourn. You're free to be honest because you know that you're loved and you know that you're forgiven. Jesus' promise to you and to me is that if you mourn, and you recognize that that is a value of his culture, you're going to find happiness and flourishing and comfort. And that's my prayer for you, and that's my prayer for me, that we would be people that don't hide and isolate our sin and its consequences, but we mourn, not only over our sin, but over the consequences of sin that others are facing as well. Because there's comfort there in Christ. I want to close with Psalm 147.3. He says, God says this to us. God heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. That is God's promise to you. Every time you come to him in prayer, every time you think and you meditate on who you are, you're going to be comforted and your wounds will be bound up. Will you pray with me? God, we don't understand why you have chosen to love us, why you are merciful and gracious to us, or when we are honest with you about who we are and what we struggle with, it's not pretty. And yet, Jesus, you have come to die for us. You have been buried and you have come forth victorious from the grave as we'll celebrate soon on Easter. And so, Lord, we know that though mourning is not easy, that when we are honest with ourselves and with you, that we will find happiness and we will find flourishing because we will find repentance and we will grow. But, Lord, most of all, we will find comfort. We will find your love. We will find hope to move forward. And so, 
God, we ask that tonight by faith we would trust and we would rest in that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.